0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Are a Maroon and Goldie podcast featuring me, Chandler Becker
1: And me, Aaron Williams.
0: Aaron, in past seasons, PJ Fleck has said that everyone with the team, whenever the Jokers finally beat Iowa, they'll get a day with the pig, like how in the NHL, when you win the cup, everyone gets a day with the cup. It's a lot of days. It is a lot of days, but, I mean, it's roughly 365 days or... Three hundred or so until the Dophers next play Iowa, so there's time to fit it all in, uh, even if they wait until the end of the off season or the the end of the the season to to start handing out the pig. But my my question to you is, where is Aaron taking Floyd of
1: Rosedale if he gets a day with Floyd, and which jam band is playing there? Uh, oh, I was gonna say a dive bar, maybe Palmer's wonder what's the, the, the I feel like if I feel like the this is a weird jam band it's not a weird jam band take it's a very conventional jam band take but I feel like the jam band despite a lot of the 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 presence of fish signs on college game day game day historically and despite I guess Goose was on college game day earlier this year too um weirdly there's a weird reference in week 1 I have to I have to say I think widespread panic being the ambassadors of the jam band South, the Southern United States. I think they are maybe like the most like beer drinking college football Yahoo types, you know? Um, So if there was a jam band playing, I'm not even a big fan of them, but they feel like an apt selection. So maybe widespread panic playing Palmers, which doesn't make any sense. I don't know if they could fit on the stage, but yeah, you, you heard it here first.
0: It, it doesn't make sense and i was more fitting in the the jam band uh part of that question as a joke but yes uh, because of Aaron, you know where, where, where of course Aaron would take something to a jam band you know, but uh
1: i guess what would would you what would you do with with a pig at palmer's just hang out just just you know, let, let the people come say hey you know i don't think they care much about football i mean there's probably a few fans it's a pretty eclectic place but you know, I could just explain. I could ex- I could mansplain the pig to people. Say, hey, we beat Iowa. They'd be like, yeah, you did. That's great. And give me another beer. I don't know. It'd be fun. I mean, it is. It is like two blocks from from
0: Carlson, basically, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not far from the stadium, really. Um, in a physical sense, in a spiritual sense, it is about as far from Carlson as one can one can get. I mean, in spiritual and again metaphorical sense. But yeah, I would maybe bring him to Palmer's, maybe bring him to Shaw's. Just do a little, just do a little dive bar tour of West Bank, Northeast. As I mean, that's just what I—it's just, it's just, it's just who I am. It's in my blood. I can't escape it. You know what can you? What do you? What can you say?
0: I suppose you can't say much more than that. But we're gonna try to, because when you beat Iowa for the first time in nine years, and you win in Iowa City for the first time in twenty four years. Uh, there are some things, you know, even if this is going up on a Thursday and, you know, it's basically Michigan State season, we we do need to talk about this game because uh, it's pretty significant, isn't
1: it? Yeah, 100%, 100%. It's a big, it's a big win for the per for the season, for the program, for the just again the the rivalry. It's um, significant on a number of levels. The the first thing I'll,
0: I'll say is. This was the best defensive performance of the season, um, not that that's yes. very controversial or anything, but um, Iowa got um, just under 12% of the yards that were available to them uh, in that game. The, the That's the lowest percentage of available yards the Dopers have allowed all season. The what was that number was, in the
1: second half? Uh,
0: well, I, I guess I didn't actually bother counting that, but I can tell you. They got two yards in the second half, so I would bet it's a pretty small number. Yeah, but I mean, you, you give up two yards per play, you give up ten points, and seven of those, po- those points came on a short field with some penalties. Like you, you, obviously, we we came into the the game saying this this Iowa D, this Iowa offense is like exceptionally bad even by Iowa standards, but like you still have to go out and play them and this is a team that has had your number at points not necessarily over the course of a full game but will slip in a, a big play whether that's a screen or a big run by the running back mm-hmm. uh, or a play action pass over the top that you just get burned by because you, you don't play disciplined and and this time you shut them down entirely your pass rush did great i thought the defensive line and linebackers looked
1: fantastic yeah, the front seven was as good as it's been all year, and then some.
0: Uh, Devin Eastern, I thought, had a really, really good game. Maverick Baranowski and Devin Williams had their best games of the season, in my opinion. This was a a really, really strong game for the guys up up front. And uh, on on top of that, you know, your, your secondary wasn't asked to do all that much, but uh, they went up against a bad receiving group and didn't get beat, which is kind of all you can ask for. And Honestly,
1: I think Deacon Hill should have thrown a couple more interceptions than he did. Yeah, he looked brutal, especially after, I mean, really after the first drive or two. he Even in that, he didn't look great, but especially after the first drive or two, he looked brutal. Absolutely brutal. But hey, we'll take it.
0: Yeah, absolutely we'll take it. Um, it's, a, it's a very strong performance, one that we've been waiting to see from this defense. And, and part of it is they've kind of gelled together. Part of it is... That they were playing Iowa, part of it is that they had a week off, probably, but uh on the you know all of that together means a really really good day, and you can't just turn those down or or qualify those too much because uh, especially in a rivalry game,
1: good performances are not necessarily a given, so well uh, and especially especially in a rivalry game where your offense you know doesn't get completely shut down especially in the second half, but ultimately puts off twelve points. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this this was a um, and it did put together a few longer drives. Just they they would stall in the red zone, or they had a couple uh, field goals that they got three and outs after picking up fumbles in the red zone. So I you know, Iowa's defense is going to play like Iowa's defense, and it was when you only win by two, you can't say it was like a a decisive victory or anything. I I I, I can't no, necessarily. It, w- it was very close, um, and and P.J. Fleck, I can't really disagree too much with any of his specific fourth down decisions, but um, one of those times, it would have been really nice to come away with a touchdown, and part of that is, well, what if Brevin Spanford had got the ball? What if Ethan kelly um on that read option where, where he got hit? What if he had handed it off, and you're setting up a I guess that would have been a second and five or something instead of a second and 10 or what if there's a better play call where you're not calling for those two fades. Yeah. Uh, or those fades know, are better
1: executed even.
0: Yeah, I, I, like there are all these these small what ifs that go beyond decision making into just like the execution could have been better, but also it's it's the Iowa defense and the, those guys are really good. So it, it's, it's hard to, to make a lot happen, but uh, I thought Ethan Kalikmanis obviously was shaky. He didn't get to ten of twenty-five by accident. But on the other hand, Tory Crooms like that was his worst game of the season easily. Yeah, I he's concerned. very true-handed. Yeah, that that that's been the thing with him is he's he's been an ideal slot receiver and and he had like four like bad drops. Maybe, maybe a couple you could look at sort of is okay in in isolation but when you add them up it's just uh he um arifasan has been saying this about tj Hopkinson season going into the 49ers game where like there's so many that are excusable in 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 a vacuum but the totality of them is sort of like you know we, we expect better from you and, and the tory crims is not in the same you know level of importance to the gophers that hawkinson is to the vikings but the general point of this past Saturday, Croom's, uh, you know, should have been able to catch the ball, and he didn't. And if he had, then maybe this is like a 10-point a win or something like that. Yeah. But regardless, it's still a, a very big win. Uh, Darius Taylor and Zach Evans both went down injured. Flex said on Monday that they got good news. He didn't specify about which one of them. And he didn't say how good, but he thinks they should get at least one of those guys back soon. Maybe not Saturday. Maybe Saturday. He's very cagey about these things. We'll find out a couple hours before kickoff. I have a rule book talk that we can give about the <laughs> you know, the, the the play that everyone in Iowa City is going to be talking about and we'll we'll continue to talk about, but just um what what were your thoughts when A the play happened and B when they called it
1: back? Jeez, I was uh I when it happened I just had to laugh. It's just just again, I hate to use the word cursed, but it was like, well, just another one of those games, you know? Um another one of those freak, you know, Mo Ibrahim fumbles the ball. Tanner Morgan makes a couple bad throws in his best year. You know, Iowa gets a weird fluke defense, special teams, you know, like it just felt like a continuation of all the other games. And and at that point, up to that point, it really felt like we had really taken control. Even though the score was tight, it was like we had really dominated that second half. So it was kind of poetic in a sense. Suffice to say, when they reversed it, I was elated. Um I also laughed there too because it's just funny. It's just it's just divine comedy. I mean, what else are you gonna gonna call a spade a spade at a certain point? Um, it seems like in retrospect, I mean, in looking at the replay and seeing everybody's you know takes on it, you know, I mean, it, it's it seems like they made the right call. Um, however hard that pill may be to swallow for Iowa fans, I mean, I personally don't. Even <laughs> if they made the wrong call, I, I don't care. I'm I'm happy. It wins a win. But it, seemed, it does seem like it was the right call. I mean, he did wave, you know, um, his arm. But I guess my only other thought is, man, you got to make that tackle, right? Like you got to four, four, five, six guys. I mean, he, you know, I know, I know, Dejean is really good and really elusive and stuff. But somebody's got to. It shouldn't have had to be like that. It shouldn't have, Flex
0: talked about this not not using names but I I, I wrote about it and I did use names. Um the, the big thing is Coleman Bryson who is coming in as the the guy the, the defender right along the hash on the sideline. He's essentially like the contained defender and when Brady Weeks misses that first tackle because he's the long snapper and long snappers miss tackle sometimes Tariq Watson comes in and he closes and he misses the tackle which that's not ideal but the thinking is like so uh I've got the play in front of me right now but um if if Dejean is right here and he's got a guy coming in on his right then if he sees Bryson react to the spin move that that dejean gave weeks and move away from the sideline and uh coleman bryson has no one behind him but if dejean sees bryson step inside then and then like five bodies to his right he's gonna Stay outside and, and go to the sideline. But yeah. if Bryson stays straight and comes right at DeGene, angles, then angles. Yes, uh, he, he just—it's it, a split-second mistake where 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 Bryson just gets a little bit aggressive. He sees a, a really good returner and and tries to chase him the way he thinks he's going to go instead of staying disciplined. Because if he stays in his way, then his choices, Dazin's choices are: try to run through the guy who's right in front of him, aka break another tackle, or go right into Maverick Baranowski, Tyler Newbin. Uh, I guess that's Terry Brown over there. Like there, there, there's so many bodies there, and you you've taken away all his options up until the very last moment when you step out of his way. And Fleck also pointed out that uh, they sent there was a a leverage penalty that should have been called that. One of the Iowa rushers jumped to try to block the punt while engaged with Minnesota blocker. And the Big Ten told him that it was supposed to be called at that point and would have been moved if they had called it. But the bottom line is, you know, the coverage should have been better. And it's just one or two guys making a bad mistake uh, that you, you can't make. And Dejean goes off. But Dejean fortunately made his own mistake because, and it, it I mean, it's hard to even call it a mistake because no one really talks about the invalid fair catch rule. Like, yeah. how often do you see it in, the, in a season? If you watch a ton of football, maybe like once.
1: Maybe, maybe.
0: But for for those who are unaware, although it's it's Thursday, you've you've probably read it. Uh, if you read my stuff, then then you read it. But short of it is a valid signal a valid fair catch signal is when you obviously signal that your intention by extending one hand one hand only clearly above your head and waving that hand side to side an invalid signal is any waving signal by a player of team b that does not meet the requirements of the aforementioned definition of a valid signal and there's in fact an interpretation listed in the rule book that says any waving motion does not meet the valid requirements so if you keep your hands below your shoulders and point that's fine if you do any sort of waving motion which Dejean does with his left hand whether he right. means it he, he doesn't mean it as a fair catch he's telling his teammates go away but even so that counts as an invalid motion which i have seen called before Uh, There are some examples of that, such as uh, the Wisconsin-Northwestern game in 2015. There was an invalid fair catch signal in the Tennessee-Alabama game this Saturday, even. And the rulebook specifies that whether a returner advanced the ball after a fair catch signal, that is a reviewable play. So, like, on every level... The referees followed the procedure correctly, they reviewed the scoring play to see if he stepped out of bounds, but then they saw the the hand and tried to determine is that an invalid fair tax signal. They said yes, because you can review that play and because it wasn't invalid fair tax signal. So whether that is a just rendering of the, the rules and what the spirit of the rules of football are supposed to be, that's a different discussion, but they followed the rules as written. And so. You know, it sucks for T- Trooper Dejean, who's a great player. He didn't mean anything by it. But you can do this all you want, but as soon as you pick it up, the play is dead. That's just how well, it, it is. Absolutely. But in terms of, you know, how, how it felt cosmically when it happened, I, I, I told my friends when they reversed it like that, this never happens. Because, like, it's really felt like was the one who gets the breaks. They're the ones who get the tip-drill interceptions. They're the ones who get, you know, the last year the review were at the goal line. looked like they might have fumbled, but an offensive lineman just happened to be in the way of the camera, and you couldn't really tell. Uh, It was just, everything has built up to where it feels impossible for the Duffers to be the beneficiaries of this, no matter how logical it is to say that, you know, they can be the beneficiaries, and then they, they are. And it's not the wrong call, but, you know, it's the best player on the other team making a mistake that he has no idea even could be a mistake. And that counts as a big break.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: And it's a big, big win, not just in terms of morale, but, like, you're, you're now two wins away from a bowl. And the next three games are Michigan State, Illinois, and Purdue, none of whom are good. No. Yeah. And- the division is still out of reach, so don't bother thinking about that unless things get weird. But the hope after the first few weeks became just like make a bowl game, show some progress, and there's there's a def- decent chance they'll, they'll follow through on that.
1: On both of those.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've already seen some progress, and, um, you know, if, if, uh, if they get to a point where they're heading to Detroit on on December 26th, and I'm probably not going with them, but I'll I'll sure be happy to, to see them beat up on some match team that day. Absolutely. The first step towards doing that is beating Michigan State. It was two and five. Those last five losses have all come consecutively. Uh, after wins over Central Michigan and Richmond by a lot. They got blown out by Washington. They got blown out by Maryland. Uh, They played a close game against Iowa until a legal de on return for a touchdown. They blew a big lead to Rutgers in the just ugliest, worst football game I've watched all year. And uh, then they had the Michigan thing happen. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so Harlan Barnett, the interim head coach, has, has kind of had a rough go of it. We we can start with the, the defense because like we we know used the, usually the book on Michigan State is they don't
1: have a very good secondary. Yeah, it's historically, and last year when Tanner Morgan completed whatever ninety percent of his passes, that was the case.
0: Yeah, and and they're still not good. They're they're ninetieth in completion rate allowed, ninety first in yards per attempt allowed. 108th in success rate allowed against the pass like the they're, they're not good and they're starting three true sophomores and a true freshman they have looked less colossally bad though um, they don't give up big plays whether on the the ground or through the air obviously it doesn't matter that much if you're consistently giving up eight yard gains but it's, it's some progress, won't matter for Saturday, but it's some progress compared to last year. It, it seems like they've got a little bit of talent back there that includes a couple four-stars and Dylan Tatum at cornerback and Jaden Mangum at safety. And they, they do seem to like one of their new linebackers, Jordan Hall, a, uh, another four-star prospect, true freshman. Um, but this this is still not a very good... Secondary and they play a lot of off coverage, so they will continue to give up the underneath stuff uh, as they had in the past. They also blitz a lot. I I don't necessarily think that's led to results necessarily. They don't have like one guy on the team who just has a bunch of sacks. Um, Their sack leader, honestly, I think that's Aaron Brule. Their uh, one of their linebackers, neither of whom is is that good brulee or Halliday. i mean Halliday is fine at what he is mm-hmm. he's incredibly what he is he's, he he looks in plays like the, the type of white linebacker who doesn't wear gloves um neck
1: you know, neck roll guy
0: yeah 81 tackles last year 11 tackles for loss and he is not a coverage linebacker in the slightest their defensive line is not very intimidating. Um, I, I will say at the linebacker position, they are out Jacoby Windman. They're, they're really good pass rusher from last year who got injured actually actually against the Gophers uh, last season. Or no, maybe he didn't. Chris Bodle did, but Windman got injured earlier in the year, and he's out for the season. Also on the defensive line, their best defensive tackle, Simeon Barrow, is no longer going to play for them because it looks like he's going to transfer. So they're they're missing some important pieces and they don't really have any star power per se. Zion Young, when their defensive ends looks decent and they've got a former running back who's playing a lot of uh, defensive line snaps for them, Brandon Wright. But obviously the, the, the former running back is not the best run defender. So I think you should be able to, pass pretty well if you go quick you take the underneath stuff you don't get too greedy and go deep it's a good day to run the ball too because this team does not have the best run defense 51st and success rate allowed against the run which is pretty average but not terrible not a lot of negative plays not a lot of stuffs it, it, it's not a bad defense it's it's just very average and you know it's good they don't give up big plays they don't hemorrhage but if they still allow chunks at a time, and you you can generate some long drives. That kind of plays right into what Minnesota wants to do. And then offensively, this is bad. Uh, they're they're 93rd by F uh, F plus. They're bad in the red zone. They're bad running the ball. They're bad throwing the ball. At quarterback, it looks like they're going to play Keaton Hauser, the redshirt freshman, who the last two games they just haven't trusted at all. Like lots of 10-yard curls, lots of swing passes and screens, stuff like that. He's only averaging 5.9 yards per pass attempt, two touchdowns, two interceptions, six sacks, and a lot of that came against Michigan who, you know, they sack everyone. Everybody. Yeah. Uh, but between him and Noah Kim, there's not really a, a really good, you know, really secure quarterback. They they benched Kim because of some some turnover problems. Six interceptions on the year for him. Um, They do have a true freshman four star and Sam Levitt uh, on the bench, but Hauser is also a former four star. And I I don't think they're probably going to bring out Levitt unless they really have to. Running back, it's one guy. Nathan Carter, Utah transfer, very solid. meant both as as a a quality and also as an attribute. He's 5'10", 200. He's, he's built pretty thick, strong, kind of a, a slashing type. And uh, last week against Michigan, Jalen Perger suffered a season-ending injury, and they just kept giving Tartar the ball. It looks like Jaron Mangum, a USF transfer, is going to be the number two, but he's only got two carries on the season. So it's not really clear. Uh, it's, it's, it's Carter and really no one else. Trey Mosley... Is a pretty decent receiver. Malik Tarr and Montori Foster are, are decent targets. Uh, and, and their line is better than it has been in previous years, but it's still not good. They still don't, they, they still do a lot of negative plays uh, and still are not very efficient on the ground. So this is a, another game where I think you can just kind of play the run first, wait until they show that they trust their quarterback to throw deep at all. Until they do that, then don't pretend that they they will. Um, focus on their their tailback and everything should be fine. Vegas has it as a seven point game. Computers depending on you, where you go. Somewhere from like a 62 to 73 percent chance of a Minnesota win. Nothing nothing too confident, but like uh, it, it's clear everyone thinks Minnesota's the better team here. Um, what what are you thinking?
1: Well, oh, I think Minnesota is a better team. I also think these two teams trend towards the ugly. And I think this game will be closer than it probably should be. More um, than maybe a more optimistic person would um, project. Um, so I have the Gophers at 20 to 10. Um, I think it's going to be close, but I think they will end up winning comfortably, by which I mean by around 10. So, yeah, I, I don't it's a, it's a I mean, it's again, it's a pretty favorable matchup. The one thing I would say is it would depend on the running backs. You know, if, if Taylor, you know, if, if Taylor and Evans both play and they're both healthy, you know, probably chip that up to 23, 27 to 10, um, just because they're, I think they're real difference makers. But if not, still, I, I still feel pretty confident that the Gophers will be able to squeeze out a victory here.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Um 20 to 10 is, in fact, the exact score I I have in my notes.
1: And uh, I. You said 28. uh, 20 to 10. Did you say 28? No, no. I just thought you might have. But yes, 20 is glad we're in agreement. Okay. yes. Good, good.
0: Um, I will note um, Sean Tyler, if he's asked to be the number one, he had 13 carries for 68 yards against Michigan State last year, plus a touchdown not necessarily will be relevant at all, but yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. This, it, this is a, a team trending in the opposite direction of the Gophers and um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a mess it, it, everywhere. It's a mess. We, we haven't even mentioned Hitler this week. Yeah. relevant to Michigan state football. Fortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think this will be a, Relatively comfortable, kind of ugly win, and and the weather will be ugly too. Um, yeah. Mid mid 30s, cloudy, not terribly windy, but you know we're we're really starting to hit proper fall weather. 2:30 kickoff on BTN. Corey Crovis and Jake Butt will be on the call. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, not a standout game to be seen. Maryland Northwestern. 11 on BTN, Indiana, Penn State, 11 on CBS, 230 on FS1, Purdue, Nebraska, and that one could be more interesting than the others.
1: Wait when I see it.
0: Ohio State, Wisconsin, 630 on NBC, that's more of a, uh, you know, uh, if if you want to see a dead body type of game, probably.
1: As most games of Ohio State plays against Big Ten West competition tend to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I will uh, probably not be watching that game. What do you think I should watch instead?
1: Yeah. So it's not a great week I on paper, at least I don't think. I mean, there aren't a lot of you know great games. There's not. I mean, last week in the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've been sort of spoiled with great games you know with highly ranked teams and some good lower mid-card games but this week not so much um you know Kansas if Kansas's quarterback situation wasn't kind of a mess given how Oklahoma played last week against UCF I would say Kansas would be sneaky but I probably expect Oklahoma to rebound here also in that early slot again I think I mentioned South Carolina like a lot just cuz like I don't know, whatever, but they do not like that matchup with A and M. Uh, not, I don't, I just don't think it's very compelling. <laughs> do not like UMass Army. Sorry, Army, but that does not, do not like that. Yeah, that early slot. I mean, there's just not, there's just not a lot. I mean, I think Florida is. People seem to be hyping up Florida against Georgia, but I just not, it's not going to happen. I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, this is what Georgia. Anytime anybody gets a a whiff of anything against them you know sniffs confidence they just they methodically and meticulously you know uh destroy destroy them more or less um so yeah i I don't like that game don't like byu texas although i don't know is 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 arch gonna play is that what i'm hearing no it'll be malik
0: murphy arch is is redshirting Oh. Uh, it, it looks like yours is out, but Malik Murphy has been the two all season and will we'll remain the two. Wh- wherever those two guys, Murphy and Arch Manning, are on the depth start going into the spring and into the fall, that's a different question, but Arch yeah. is fine.
1: Okay, yeah, so that takes a little bit of the intrigue away from that for me. Um, Oregon, Utah is really good. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's clearly the best game to me yeah and i know utah i know again utah's quarterback situation um, and it's not not great but um yeah oregon's got a great offense utah's got a great defense you know something's got to give um you know two one loss teams and they're really good in a really solid pac-12 uh that's probably i guess i'll watch the go for game but i'll probably have this on Probably i'd be flipping back and forth and depending on how competitive And the Gopher game is, if the Gophers do what they did to Michigan State last year, I I can say I would probably feel fairly comfortable switching over to Oregon, Utah for a spell or two or three. Duke-Louisville, I just don't know. I just don't know. I know Duke has proven to actually be good. I'm not entirely sure Louisville is actually good. Um, They did lose last week at Pitt pretty bad. So, you know, TVD on that, but that is a matchup of ranked foes, which is again, something we only have, I think two, maybe three of this week. I think just a two. Um, So that's in the afternoon. And then, yeah, not much, not much, not much L Marshall coastal, maybe, but even that game feels like other years. That's a better matchup than it is this year. I mean, coastal doesn't have the same roster as they did. And then maybe, you know, Throwing out Tennessee-Kentucky is probably going to be – has a chance to be pretty good, I'd say. Um, And then as far as a sleep or a weight game, you know, James Madison is really good, but ODU is not that bad. So throwing it out there. Well, I
0: can tell you this is a really good week to watch FCS football. It always is, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it's not. um, But this week we've got a lot of pretty significant matchups. South Dakota State, South Dakota. I mean, South Dakota State is pretty clearly the best team in FCS right now. Um, but South Dakota is by SP Plus ranked somewhere around tenth. Um, so you know, it, it's an in-state rivalry. Uh, this one is in. Um, I always forget where USD is. Do you remember where USD is? Oh, I'm I'm cheating. I'm looking at the schedule. I see it's in Vermillion. There you go, vermilion. This one's in vermilion rather than Brookings. so maybe you know that's worth a little bit uh, a something for the the wolf pack, right? Wolf pack, or is it red wolves or something? Ah, uh, they are the coyotes. 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 I knew this. Um, my my bad. I'm a very bad football hipster here, but I can tell you, three o'clock, Montana State, Idaho on ESPN Plus. That. Sure. Could be a really good game, Idaho just lost to Montana, but they're still very much in the big Sky race, three and one uh tied with Montana and Idaho State. Montana State is first in the big Sky, six and one on the year. Their only loss was uh, against South Dakota State by four, so really, really good Montana State team, but also not a lot for the big Sky title. I don't think Fordham is that good, but they are hosting Holy Cross, who is very good. Uh, so maybe worth keeping an eye on that. Um, I did have one other sleeper picked that's not FCS. UL Lafayette, South Alabama, 4 o'clock on ESPN+. Both, I mean, South, we, we saw the occasions, you know, we know they're a decent Sunbelt level team, but South Alabama... Looks really, really good. Honestly, they just they they've beaten their last two opponents. Neither of whom are good, but they have beat their last two opponents by a combined score of one hundred ten to ten. That's uh, right, yeah. And they beat up on Oklahoma State earlier in their in the year. Uh, like South Alabama is is going places, and Kane Womack is going presumably Bloomington, Indiana, in a year or so. But uh, th- those are two solid teams to maybe keep an eye on. And uh, UNLV Fresno State in the late slot. That should be a good game because UNLV
1: is somehow like really good. Well, I did. I I just you know I just I just instinctively gloss over UNLV football,
0: which is the smart move because usually they're pretty terrible. But they're six and one on the year right now, and that one loss was to Michigan. And Mm -hmm. and granted, you look at some of these wins and you're not terribly impressed by any of them, but just to be bowl eligible for UNLV, like Mm -hmm. at the end of week 13 is is big enough to be that way uh, in in week eight, week nine, um, and to be very much in the Mountain West championship game race like that. That's really big. And obviously Fresno State, just, you know, one of the the class programs of the Mountain West. So Mm -hmm. that that would be a really good late slot game to watch. Um, this is a game where you should go hunting for for football to watch. That isn't, you know, if if you only want marquee names, then, you know, I guess just watch something else instead. But um, I, I would encourage you to, to look for good football and in places you wouldn't necessarily normally look for good football because it does exist. So I do think Tennessee, Kentucky, if you want, you know, some nice SEC football or whatever, I, I think that could be a decent game, too. Mm-hmm. I I I've more or less run out of games to promote here, or or small programs to shield for as well. So you got uh, Tommy's versus
1: Marist. uh
0: I don't think Marist is any good, but that's probably. I don't either, too.
1: but you know, who's to say? You know, go Tommy's. Well,
0: let let's see here. Looking at uh Bill Con- Bill Connolly has put up like. The combined SP Plus rankings the last few weeks, and this week he expanded to NAIA. Oh my goodness! Uh, which from FBS to NAIA is is 760 teams, but uh, let, let's see Marist in these rankings is where is Marist? I can tell you that Saint Thomas is 243rd out of those 760. And uh, presumably Marist is. Oh, they're 317th. There you go. So St. Thomas would be the favorite. Any anything else you want to mention before we we head out?
1: No, no. I think uh, it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good weekend. I'm looking forward. I don't have many plans on Saturday, so I'm gonna probably indulge in quite a bit of it.
0: As one should. We say it every week, but this this is the type of week that would surprise us with a good football game. Yeah. ideally not one for the Gophers because they're the favorites and we don't want intrigue but elsewhere in the world there should be good football so don't be afraid to to hunt for it until then we'll talk to everyone next week see ya